You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places, and those who know the immense value of the work that God is doing there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and I am excited this week as we continue to dive into the conversation with Pastor Andy McMillan about contextualizing leadership to a rural church context. When we last left off, we were in the middle of discussing the cost of ministry, the idea that while we don't want to go overboard in terms of burning ourselves out, there is still a real genuine sacrifice to ministry. Let's pick up the conversation where we left off. Now, and and I'll say this too, because I've worked looking back at my tenure. uh, This will be, this month is 14 years in ministry for me. And looking back at my tenure, I can look and and honestly say, I've probably only worked for one person who was a good boss, a good pastor, um, and and just a a healthy-ish individual. Because like we all have some areas that we're not fully healthy in, but but a a fairly healthy individual. One out of four. And that's probably not unique to my situation, (laughs) you know? I think, right, I right, think, right, right, right. There's a lot of sympathy yeah, in the room. I mean, sure. I think a lot of us don't realize, hey, people are just really, really unhealthy sometimes, including senior pastors. But if if my response to ministry is I'm called to it if I can work for somebody healthy, I'm called to it if I can work in an area that's cool to live in, I'm called to it if I can you know, write my own job description, do my own thing. And, and if the boat doesn't ever ha- actually hit any way, right. Then I'm probably not actually called to it. And I think COVID woke a sure. lot of people up to go, Oh, I don't know that I actually want to do this. This is. Yeah. And it makes people kind of reevaluate, yeah. say, how deep does the call of God go? Yeah. What does it look like? Cause I think, I think it's true. Like obviously, and, and hopefully a lot of our audience uh, working in rural settings understands that hopefully is like, yeah, the calling has to run deep because it's all that you kind of have when things get hard. And rural ministry is, is different than city ministry. There's a, there's a unique dynamic in rural community that people have a deeper desire to be connected to their pastor. I can't tell you, I've only been Mm -hmm. here two years. I can't tell you how many times I we're sitting down doing something at the house. And I just look at my wife and go, gotta go. I'll explain later. <laughs> you know, you just grab your keys and just leave because sure, sure. somebody's gone to the hospital or, you know, something, somebody's passed away or, you know, it's just a different dynamic. And so um, I think, I think that's an important value, but whether at the end of the day, where I'm at, where God places me, it may change, but I'm still called to pastor the people in a way that's meaningful and significant to them. Yeah, no, that's huge. Well, awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's a great set of reminders. Again, I really love the end where you said like, there's a set of conditions that I think would be really nice to have met where like, like one of the things I've been wrestling with a lot is like, does the Lord have to call me to a healthy church? Because like, again, what's the point of us being there? You know what I'm saying? Like, like maybe we are called to go into a situation, serve it in obedience, even if not everything checks out, you know, it's, it's a hard yeah. balance. 
Um, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk more about your church context. One of the things you said that offended my rural sensibilities for at least half a second, right? Just for half a second is, uh, you know, you talked about how you made it a point to plant an urban church in a rural setting. Um, and I'm going to let you unpack what that means. And I'm going to also let you unpack the why sure. of, of you know, hey, why go with a certain model? Um, because, again, I, even though our rural towns are vastly different, um, there's kind of this idea that that even things that might look production oriented or look mega churchy or look like they belong in a city can sometimes be met with opposition by like a rural crowd. And so why, why this, why the choice, what does it look like? Sure. So yeah, I, I told you a story that I'll give a real short version of it. Um, I remember being in a third world country and taking a mission trip with a bunch of kids. And we, we traveled on a Sunday to all of these churches and it was a really unique scenario because we were walking into what you would expect in a third world country, you know, church is sure, very sure. impoverished, um, nothing really nice, all, all that kind of experience, 15, 20 people sitting in the room. Well, when we got done, we went back to our hotel, which if you've ever taken a mission trip in a third world country, you stay in a high end hotel. It's just, you got teenagers, right, it's right. a safety thing. Well, I walked into the hotel and I could hear like a horn section blasting out just very sure, Israel sure. Houghton sounding stuff. And I thought, what is this? And I opened the door sure. and this church is killing it in the ballroom of this hotel. I mean, killing it. There's probably a thousand people crammed into this thing. And I had walked in on the tail end of their service. They were, they were doing a... Sure. like a last song. And as I, I left, I stayed for probably 10 minutes. And as I left the room, somebody stops me and says, Hey, the pastor would like to talk to you. Cause you know, in, in a country sure. where people aren't predominantly white, the slightly over. Uh, sure. Yeah. There's some, let's say telltale yeah. signs that you might be from somewhere Maybe else. That white yeah, guy sticks out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? We, we're sure, pretty easy sure. to spot. And so I, I talked to him just a little bit and I just said, Hey man, this is really cool what you're doing here. And I said, it honestly reminds me a lot of what we have in America. And the guy said, it's funny. You should say that our vision statement is to be a first world church in a third world country. And it just huh. stuck out. I, you know, I, and sure you could argue a whole lot of reasons, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, could say we got to contextualize go, or we don't, you know, there's, a, but, but for the sake of the argument, let's say that's the right move. Why? You know, what does that Well, does that well do? it, we gotta, it stuck out to me because we just got done going to three churches that had like 15 people in it. And this guy had a thousand, you know, like that's a, sure, and, sure. and numbers aren't everything. So for those of y'all who, where your brain goes. But again, but, but again, like these are souls saved. Things. These are people getting impacted yes, by the gospel. A, yeah. Like it matters. Like, they still matter. So I just, it stuck with me. And when we came here, what's unique about my context is I was coming to a church that was in serious decline, but they built a very modern facility. I mean, my facility um, is, it's nice. It's nice. It's sure, young looking. Sure. But yeah, completed in 2018. Yeah, it, yep. it looks incredible, both exteriorly and interiorly. If you go to um, Oasis Church, ks.com, you can click on our Instagram, get an idea what the space looks like. Um, it, it's it's unique uh, for this area. Every other church is 50 years old. They've never been updated. They're, they're rough looking. But we were still just declining. And part of that was 
we were doing what every other church in town was doing just in a better facility. It didn't, it just didn't click really well. Uh, The other side of it is too, we were predominantly white in a community that was not predominantly white. And I just really, I I looked around the community at the other churches. There's one other Pentecostal church in our town runs about 12 people. So, so it's not like a known church. Um, And everything else was not charismatic or Pentecostal. And I just said, um, what we need to do is not blend in. We need to stick out. And so, so we did two things. We, the first thing that we did was we started making the services feel like what you would expect when you walked into the type of building that we have. Uh, So we, we went to um, a more modern, heavy production experience. One thing that people say a lot in rural towns is they'll say it doesn't work here. What that really means is they don't want to do it. Um, and so <laughs> like I, criticism taken. Yeah. I hear, I hear that. You know, there's, it's worth so, I mean, that's just what it means. <laughs> and so, cause we've seen rapid growth, significant growth. And all we really did was raise the bar to what would be normal in a suburb community. And so and the sure. other thing that we did was we were very intentional. So we, we made it feel like a like the church building that you were walking in, and we made it feel a little more suburban. The other thing that we did was we asked the question, what are we reaching and and what are we doing to try to reach those the people in the community? And so we began to design our services the way that I preach, the songs that we choose, the volume of our service, all of those things around non-white 38-year-old men which in my context yeah. is Hispanic. And so right. we, we chose music around that. We went from three singers and a couple of band members to five or six band members and 12 singers. We went big, very boisterous and charismatic feeling. Um, and we turned it up because the only people on the planet that like worship low are white people. And so like <laughs> if you go to an African-American church, they want loud. If you sure. go to a Hispanic church, they'll they'll blow the skin right off your body uh, with how loud it is. And, yeah. and that's like, well, and I do know, like, uh, yeah, we were in El Salvador on a yeah. missions trip and, again, had the same experience where we went, wow, this is, loud. you know, everyone walked away just even as a teenager saying, wow, that was exciting or that was loud or it was fun or it was – it just had a, a, different. a, a different nature to it. It's you know? different. And so I, we just said we want to do that. The other side of it is, too – the statement, hey, this won't work here, might have been true 20 years ago. But with the globalization of the planet, sure. what you tend to find, in at least in the several rural communities that I've lived in, is people want the benefits of being rural, but they also want the experience that you would get in a more modern context. And we've, we, sure. as we've provided that, it's given us pretty significant reach. Um, I, in, in a lot of different ways. Some of that is because of the experience when they walk in the door. Um, a lot of it's because, and this is, this is not anything I can tell you how to do, but man, our people brag about our church. Even the people who don't love the music, nice. we have an older guy that's an ex Methodist guy that's in our church. And he told me, he's like sure. 78 years old. He told me about six months ago, he said, I don't know what y'all are singing, but I like it. You know, huh. I mean, sure, he don't know sure. any of the songs because he came from a church that still did hymns and like for everything. And just 
it's a it's a unique deal. And so for us, we've really just taken the approach of urban church in a rural community. We're not asking the question, is this good for Ulysses? We're asking the question, is this a is this a quality and a standard that's that's honoring to God and that inspires people? Like those are, those are our deals. And we're being specific about uh, the demographic. Um, one of the things that you asked me to touch on is uh, talking about the dynamic of how we've used demographics to shape what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, I think that so often, and and, and this will kind of answer this question, but like the idea is, as pastors, d- despite our best efforts, and sometimes because of our lack of effort, it's it is just so hard. It feels hard. It feels like a really real challenge to build a church that goes beyond your demographic. You know, people joke all the time about like, yeah, a youth group kind of takes takes on the character of its youth pastor, or like a church takes on the character of its pastor, and if the pastor likes quiet worship or the pastor is more reflective or if the pastor is more outgoing or if the pastor is more outreach oriented like all these things become the yeah. personality but demographic data has kind of a sobering effect on us so walk through that yeah so so two things that i i think are are important in, in this particular discussion is that i think most pastors say they design a church around their community, what they're actually doing is designing the church that if they didn't pastor, they would want to go to. Oh, now that is an intriguing and, statement. And the, the problem <laughs> with that is it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And the reason yeah. that pastors or churches follow the personality of their pastors is because we're doing a poor job of asking the question, what does my church need to do to reach the most people? What we're really doing right. is asking, how do I reach the most people who look and sound like me? And again, even if none of those questions have crossed our mind, it's going to like, I think this conversation is so important because without intentional discussion, this is the default. Oh, yeah. Like, like whether we ever think about this question, this is just where we're going to default because that's how that's it's easiest to do. And so like, yeah, these intentional moments are super important. Uh, well, and I, I saw it really verbatim in some things that happened through COVID with the church I was serving at. The guy was in, he was 30 minutes out of Portland, which I don't know if you know this, isn't a giant bastion of people that are conservative. You know, sure, like there's right, some, right, right, right. But, my, but we had to pick a tone for the state yeah, of Oregon. Yeah, yeah I got you. but he was convinced <laughs> the whole town thought just like he did. And so when he put things okay. in place, like he lived in Arkansas, it it didn't go well. And, and sure. we lost some significant people who loved our church because he was designing a church for himself, not for the people in the church. And, and I sure. think that that's such a, it's such an important, I, I really feel like I, I kind of always felt like that, but I feel like I really learned that lesson through that season. And so we, we sure. ask the question every single time when we talk about worship songs, we have three criteria that it has to meet. That criteria has nothing to do with my preference. Personally, right. like there's a lot of music that I love that we don't do. And there it's sad for me sometimes because I love music song. Yeah, honestly. Well, that's what's hard is like it it, it it's so hard to separate making leadership choices because it makes us doubt the validity of where we're at. Cause like, if I make a choice that says, I'm not going to include this cause it's not best for my community. Uh, there's a temptation to feel like, 
well, am I wrong? And it's not that simple. Yeah. It's not about being wrong or right. It's just about recognizing to go beyond your preference. Well, and it's it's hard because honestly, like if we take music, for example, we tend to hire worship leaders who do the music that we want them to do. So we right. don't ever give a criteria for them to choose songs. We just, we hire the style that we want, you know? And so sure. the problem with that is, especially as a person has tenure, like, dynamics change, demographics change. The challenge is if we're going to pastor churches that are the most effective in our community, it requires us to set our preferences down and ask the question, in my preaching, in worship, in style, how do I do all of these things in a way that will bring in the largest faction of people? And that's not a growth strategy. That's a, right. I'm called to reach people. So sure. how do I reach people? It's a gospel strategy, right? Paul said it. I, I do all things to reach all people. I mean, that's, you know, I, I remember hearing different theologians debate about Acts where Paul has to preach in Athens, you know, and everyone says, well, was this a failure of Paul because he preached weird? Was this, you know, was this just a context thing or whatever? And what we really have to recognize is like, I mean, people have assumed that Paul didn't write what Paul wrote because he was so good at saying, I have to, I have to preach like I'm a philosopher in Athens and I have to preach like I'm a Jew in uh, Judea and Jerusalem and I have to preach like I am a Gentile in Rome and I have to preach, you know, and he just very much was so good at switching tone that people kind of thought, hey, is this guy, did this guy actually even write all this stuff? You know, and realistically, he probably had that great, a great quality of saying it. it is so beyond his own preference. Well, it's, it's important, especially if you're going to be open to God calling you to different to different places. And so we, sure. we have to be we have to be open to it. And so we've just, I mean, even the way that if you looked and watched me preach in Oregon, it's very different than what I do here. And that's not sure. being inauthentic to who I am. It's shifting to reach the most people. Sure. Well, the good news is, is if uh, if we've walked through this conversation well, we're going to see a lot of the benchmarks of this next question, right? Because the next question and kind of our wrap up here, because um, I love practical, right? I love to give people tools to, in which they can achieve a goal, right? And so when we talk about methods that have helped your church grow in your context that maybe other pastors could find helpful in their church, obviously there's some stuff already yeah. mentioned. We've already talked about the ability personally to identify with the culture around you, to connect with people the way that the culture demands. We've also talked about the need to build a model not based on your preferences, down to what's the criteria for your music style, down to you know what's that average demographic, how do we use data to our advantage to, to gear events a certain way. I just want to ask as we close, is there anything else you would add to that list that you feel like maybe we haven't fully hit on? Yeah, probably the only other thing I would say is once you identify this is the criteria to design a worship service. This is a criteria to, to be effective in ministry. I think you just got to learn to stay in your lane. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people never are good at anything consistently because they're trying to do everything. And if you try to do sure. everything, you won't be good at anything. And so I, I think Sure. Like it's okay. I've had people ask, you know, why don't you do this song? And I'll, I'll just tell them, I like that song. Good song. It's just not what we do. And being sure. okay, being okay with disappointing people is a hard leadership lesson. But, but if we're not okay uh, with disappointing people, then we'll never be consistent and good at anything. We, I, there's right. a guy that uh, I talked to about a month ago that he, he told me, he said, 
yeah, we're trying to like whittle down our song list. Like how many songs? He asked me, he said, how many songs do you have in your library? And I said, well, we have 25. It, it fluctuates between 25 and 30. Uh, and we typically get rid of two or three songs a year. That's how my worship director does it. And his jaw about hit the floor. He said, how do you only have that many? And I said, well, how many do you have? And he said, 300. <laughs> and yeah. I just said, so you don't ever sing a song twice in a year. And he was like, no. And I said, I bet your worship is not engaging at all on Sunday morning. Sure, and he sure. goes, how did you know? And I said, well, because nobody yeah. knows any of the songs you're singing. Because you're trying to make everybody happy. You're not narrowing down to something that's consistent for them to experience when when they uh, worship. He, I talked to him today, and this has been about nine months ago. He's whittled his song list down. I think he's got it down to 50, which is still a lot, but 300 to 50 is pretty sure. strong, you know. And right. he said, I cannot believe how much more people worship in our podium. Wow. And that's the the whole proof of the, uh, the puddings and the eating, right? Like you, you experience it and you go, wow, this worked. Because even, even when you said that, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, because I'm a worship leader yeah. as well in a rural church for a while and all these things. And like you think about it and you go, yeah, but how, how do you say no to that? How, how do you tune it? And then like my mind can't wrap around it. And then you say, hey, it happened. And he and, and here's a pastor saying it transformed how worship yeah. happened. And you're like, wow, well, you can't can't really argue with that a lot. <laughs> like it's you know it's and it's okay to do things, you know. So I'm 35, I'm I'm a young lead pastor. I've got a, a fair amount of older people in our church. So sure. what we did to care for them is we do a quarterly meal where they all come in. We have a band that comes up and sings every Bill Gaither song you've ever heard in your life. And we do it for sure. two hours. Gotta love the gate. And, and you know what? I, here's what I found because the, the challenge with staying in your lane is you don't want people to leave and you don't want people to feel like they don't matter. But, but when right. you're intentional about showing people that they matter and showing people that they care, that you care about them, they'll, they'll get on board with just about anything. Right. At, at right. least in, it's the idea that like, by being seen, suddenly what you're offering the rest of the time feels more palpable. Yeah. Where you say like, "Oh, I can, I can, I can endure that because I trust. I know that my voice was considered in this. You know, I know that even while you have to stick to your guns, that I'm not yeah. forgotten." Well, and, yeah. and 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 I because I know there's somebody listening and thinking, "Well, that sounds manipulative." It's only manipulative if you don't actually love people. <laughs> true, so true, true. If you have an ulterior motive, sure. If your goal is the gospel, I you know it gives us room to say, hey, we want people to be on. Board. Yes, and so you love them and you help them understand why you stay, why you keep things in in the lane and do things that honor them outside. Sunday morning doesn't have to be the only place that you that you minister to people. So yeah, that's that's really it. Yeah, well, awesome. Well, hey, this has been a delightful dive into. Uh, really, I mean, just a just a conversation about context, how to manage it well, how to lead well, how to blend in, how to stand out, you know? And so, uh, so I just want to say, uh, thanks again, Pastor Andy. This has been a great conversation. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, I just want to say once again uh, that it is our absolute pleasure and privilege to bring you content every single week that speaks uh, to the rural context right where you are. Um, we hope that these conversations are challenging and encouraging and inspiring 
and uh, cut right to the cloth of what it means to be to uh, to be a rural pastor. And so uh, we hope that you kind of, you know, check us out on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or ruraladvancement.com. But true to fashion and form, uh, we honestly believe the best way for this podcast to make its way around is for you to find another rural leader that you think could benefit from these conversations and just to uh, spread the word. And so for this week, I have been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Andy McMillan, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.